It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, in different places in your life you're known by different names. Some places I'm known as David, some places I'm known as Dave. Um, it's really interesting that we've just moved and uh, one of our new neighbours, um, every time he sees me now, says, all right, Dave. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tempted to say my name's not Dave, it's Rodney. <laughs> um, but there we go. But uh, yeah, it is good to, to be with you tonight. Those, um, I don't know if I've, everybody knows who I am. Um, my name's David. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't uh, met me, you've probably met Val, because she talks to anybody. <laughs> so, uh, and um, we've been coming along to uh, Chipping Camden since August now. And, uh, and it's been great. It's been um, quite a difficult time in our lives over the last few months. And uh, I perhaps just want to take this opportunity to say thank you uh, for, uh, for your welcome. I've said... Uh, to one or two people that um, we turned up in church and uh, people would sort of ask us and, and we needed, for, for reasons partly for our own protection, to say, not to say a great deal. And uh, we were really impressed because people would come and they'd say, um, who are you? And I, well, we'd sort of explain and they'd say, so what are you doing here? And we would start to say, well, it's complicated. And what really impressed us is that nobody pushed us. Nobody said, so what's complicated, you know, or anything. So uh, thank you for that. <clears throat> uh, just to say that um, some of you may also know that I am ordained. I've, uh, I've been ordained at the end of this month 32 years uh, in, the, uh, in the Anglican Church. Um, interesting, I was, we were talking to Alan and Jackie the other night. I, uh, when I was uh, five, I was sent to Sunday school in a little Baptist church just around the corner. I was brought up, born and brought up in the back streets of East London. Um, I often say that uh, if anybody watched Call the Midwife, yeah, you watched Call the Midwife? Uh, in the opening shots, in the opening sort of sequence, there's one photograph of a ship at the end of the road. Yeah? The building on the right-hand side is where I went to school. So that's what I'd, I grew up. And uh, we were sent to Sunday school, but uh, this little Baptist chapel closed down where we were going, and the next nearest church was an Anglican church and that's where myself, my brothers and sisters uh, went and uh, I was just reminded this morning, seeing, wonderful seeing those two teenagers uh, baptised this morning, that I came to faith when I was about 15 and I was really tempted because I wanted to say to them, uh, when, when God gets hold of you, beware because when I was 19, God called me into ordained ministry uh, and I was ordained when I was 25. Uh, so. Uh, they have no idea what God is going to bring them to. Um, I worked mostly in London, led, been involved in leading churches in places like Walthamstow and Barking and Islington and Hackney. Uh, but uh, about six years ago now, um, we had a little bit of a change, and my most recent parish was in Studley, just up uh, on the A435. But uh, in February this year, um, for reasons I won't go into, perhaps I'll tell you about it some other time, um, I uh, was early, retired early uh, from ministry. And uh, that's uh, why we ended up here looking for somewhere to go. Um, some of you will remember Neil Dunlop and uh, a conversation with Neil. Um, he said to me, we were saying, well, we don't quite know where to go in terms of church. And he said, why don't you go to Chipping Camden? They're nice people there. <laughs> so that's how we ended up here. 
And so we're very much in the sort of, so what do we do now stage? Having spent 32 years uh, in, uh, in ministry, um, and God has called us out of that, and we're not sure what God is calling us into, um, and we're beginning, we're beginning perhaps to get a few clues, but we're very much, what do we do now? Uh, I suspect there are a few people in Downing Street uh, on a Friday morning thinking, so what do we do now? Um, but we're very much at that point. And I think there was an el- there's an element of that in the passage I want to speak around uh, tonight from Acts uh, chapter 4. Um, are the words coming up on the screen? Yeah? There we go. Okay, so I'm going to read Acts chapter 4 uh, down to verse 31. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, they'd they'd healed the man at the, the temple gate and are asked to show, to asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Then they heard, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would speak to us. Lord, that you would speak your word into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds. Lord, we pray for encouragement and blessing. In your word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we can uh, ask the question, perhaps, what do we do now, we have to ask the question, so how do we get here? And just explain about what's been happening. Last week, of course, we celebrated Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit, and we read that wonderful and very powerful story of that first Pentecost day when the Spirit of God came upon the disciples in Jerusalem and now they overflowed out onto the streets where there were people from all around the ancient world. There's that wonderful long list, isn't there, of, uh, of the Parthians and Medes and the Phrygians or whatever. I think you need the gift of tongues just to be able to read it. Um, but they, hear all, they all hear the, the disciples speaking in a language. It's such a powerful event The day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes, the promised Spirit of God, the Spirit that God had promised for so long. And it's such a powerful event because this is about the power of God and the immediacy of God. The disciples had witnessed the events of the past week. They had seen and experienced Jesus' arrest, his trial, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, God was making real the truth of these events in their lives and subsequently in our lives. These are not historical events, but things that are real in our lives today. This is our almighty, sovereign creator God coming in person by his Spirit to live in his people through Jesus. It tells us that God is not some distant deity, you know, sometimes people picture God as this, uh, you know, sitting up, this old man sitting on a cloud, in, you know, playing the harp. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God himself is here. As the song says, he is right here, right now. And the Holy Spirit makes that real. It's through the Holy Spirit that God makes the gospel real and personal in our lives. It's through... His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming into our lives. I just want to, just for a moment, just indulge one of my hobby horses. I don't care if you talk about the Holy Spirit as a him or a her, but please don't talk about it as an it. It's the presence of Almighty God, the person of God coming to live amongst us. 
Okay, I've got that out of my system now. Okay. So let's go back to the story. On that Pentecost day, empowered by the Spirit, Peter then preaches to the crowd, and many come to believe in Jesus. Then in chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, we find Peter and John and probably the other disciples going to the temple, and they meet this man sitting at the temple gate begging. He'd been crippled from birth. Later we're told he's over 40 years old. Gosh, that's so old. It probably would have been in those days. And he's begging at the temple gate, and Peter tells him, although they don't have any money, they do have Jesus. And Peter reaches out uh, his hand and and lifts him to his feet. And we have this amazing spectacle, this man leaping and walking and praising God. You remember that song we used to sing? Leaping and walking and praying. Yeah, okay. And so this, this man who's now, that they all knew, is now walking and, and leaping and praising God, it draws a bit of a crowd, as you would expect. And so Peter begins to preach to the crowd. And he tells them this miracle is not about him. It's not about John. It's about Jesus. Just a few days after the church is born, they're beginning to understand a founding principle that it's not about Peter and John, it's not about you and me, it's not about preachers or worship leaders, it's not about leaders or ministers or, dare I say, bishops or archbishops, cardinals or popes. It's about Jesus. When the Sanhedrin asked them, by what power and what name have you done this? Peter simply explains It was in the name of Jesus. It's only through Jesus, he says, that we can come to know God. It's only by Jesus that we can know that forgiveness. And it's only by Jesus that this man was healed. But then when we get to chapter 4, we find the disciples finding the second of the principles of the church is that when God starts to move, you get opposition. And at the beginning of chapter 4, as I read, We're told that the the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they were speaking and they were greatly disturbed and they are arrested. When God moves, the opposition gets interested. And just as he is speaking to the people, Peter is interrupted. They come and arrest him. The old preacher once said when he got his watch out and pulled it down like that, he said, that's a threat, not a promise. Peter's interrupted. And uh, the Sadducees particularly would have been unhappy the fact that Peter was preaching the resurrection. Uh, The Sadducees were a group uh, within the the Jewish um, community who didn't believe in the resurrection. And you must know the old joke. They didn't believe in the resurrection that's why they were sad, you see. You've not heard that one? Oh, gosh. <laughs> the old jokes are the best. They arrested Peter and John and they put them in, in jail overnight. Just a few verses earlier, now Luke had painted this idyllic picture of the Christian community in Jerusalem. They, it was all exciting. They'd been meeting for prayer and teaching and fellowship, sharing their lives, and it all seemed wonderful. And sometimes we think that the early church life was ours. Oh, it was all, if only we could get back to those days. But now Peter and John are imprisoned. And things are on a knife edge. Just think for a minute. Only a few weeks before, these disciples thought they were going to Jerusalem and the kingdom was going to be proclaimed with Jesus. And they saw it all fall apart. 
They see Jesus arrested and beaten and killed. And even on the, as they're on the, those disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember that conversation they're having with Jesus, although they didn't know it was Jesus, they said, we thought it would all come to an end. We thought it was all over. Those feelings of desolation of what had happened would still have been very real in their minds. Was it all going to come crashing down again? But things were different now. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit had changed everything. And so the next day when Peter and John are brought in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin to account for themselves, although they were on trial before this intimidating council, Peter, empowered by the Spirit, doesn't see this as a trial, he sees them as a congregation. And he preaches to them. He turns the tables. He very quickly and very cleverly points out healing this man was an act of kindness. Surely it can't be a crime to do a good deed to a crippled man, can it? And he indicts the the Sanhedrin because they had crucified Jesus. You want to know how this has happened? It's because we do it in the name of Jesus, the Jesus whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. And it's in his name that this man has been healed. The Sanhedrin are amazed. They're amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. Their comment, it's a lovely comment, they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they were unschooled, ordinary men, filled with the Spirit of God. We perhaps need to understand how threatening it was for Peter and John. The Sanhedrin was like the supreme court. The high priest was the most powerful Jew in the city and the captain of the temple guard was not far behind. They were standing among powerful men. Their life was at stake. Just a few weeks before, Peter had denied Jesus to a servant girl, hadn't he? He didn't even have the courage to say, yes, I've been, I was, I'm with Jesus. And yet just a few weeks later, here they are, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter is witnessing before the Sanhedrin. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he has the boldness to preach. The Holy Spirit, the coming of the Spirit through Jesus changes everything. Changes everything for them and changes us, everything for us. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and the empowering work of the Spirit gives him that boldness that enables him to share the gospel between this very powerful and intimidating group of people. There's a story about a Methodist preacher in 19th century America who was uh, to preach to a large congregation. And just before the service, someone came up to him and said, oh, you need to know the president is here, the president of the United States. He's in the congregation. We thought you should know just so you don't say anything. (laughs) <laughs> that might upset him. And uh, as the preacher comes out, he stands up and he says, I've, I've been told that the president, president is here. And I want to say to the president, if he doesn't turn to Jesus, <laughs> his life is always going to be less than it should be. You could have heard a pin drop, everybody <gasps> But after the service, the president came up to the preacher and said, you know what, he said, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could change the world. It's the same with us. 
here, Peter and John, a couple of unschooled, ordinary men who should have stood there shuffling feet and downcast eyes. Instead, they looked what they were, ambassadors from the courts of heaven, empowered by the Spirit of God, the very presence of God in them, to speak with boldness, to tell the good news of Jesus. Shouldn't that encourage us? Sometimes I think when I look at the church that we we see the Great Commission as the great suggestion. (laughs) But it's not. And God gives us that spirit of boldness. After a little private conversation, the uh, the Sanhedrin decide uh, that uh, they're going to command Peter and John not to speak or teach. But Peter and John just replied, sorry, but we can't do anything else but tell what we've seen or heard. So we can't stop speaking of that. They had seen the risen Jesus. They had seen him ascend into heaven. They had heard him explain the scriptures. They had seen him heal this lame man by his power. They couldn't do anything else than speak of what they'd seen and heard. Sometimes we well, I don't know if I can tell people about my faith. But all we have to do is to talk about what we've seen and heard. It's wonderful this morning in church, isn't it? Wonderful to hear people's testimony. Because if I tell you what God has done in my life, it's very hard for you to say, oh, no, he didn't. Testimony is so powerful. When it comes to sharing the faith... Sometimes we make it so complicated, but all we need to do is do what Peter and John did in the power of the Spirit, tell people what God has done in our lives. All we have to tell him what is our experience of God. We don't need to know, I don't know, the four theories of the atonement. We don't need to have got our ecclesiology sorted or our um, eschatology worked out. All we need to do is to tell people what God has done in our lives. In John chapter 9, when Jesus healed the blind man, you remember that? No, they questioned, there was all sorts of questions going on, and he ended up with them saying to him, well, you know, what's happened? He says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. What a powerful testimony that is. He didn't have to say anything else. And sometimes we don't have to say anything else except what Jesus has done in our lives. It's simply about that. So the final, the disciples are released and they went back to the Christians to tell them what had happened. And then the big question is, so what do we do now? What do we do now? We've been told to keep quiet, but we've had this incredible experience of God. What do we do now? There doesn't seem to have been any discussion. They didn't say, oh, I think we need to have a committee you know, we, we need to call together the leadership team to discuss this. What we're told is they raised their voices together in prayer. Let's pray about this. That was their reaction. No questions, no discussion about their option. What are we going to do? We're going to pray together. We're going to pray realistically about what's happening, but we are going to pray together. I don't know about you, but uh, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Getting people to pray together. I'm reminded of the, um, maybe you've heard of the story of the evangelistic mission in the church. And the evangelist turns up one night and he, uh, 
preaches his heart out and gives the appeal, you know, if you, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, I want you to get up and come forward. Nobody moved. Not a soul. Packed church, not a soul moved. And afterwards he says to the church leadership, he said, why, what's, what's going on here? And they said, well, because they're all Christians. They're, you know, they're members of our churches. We know them, you know. They're already Christians, so they're not going to respond. They're already Christians. And so the next night, same thing happens. And so they have this discussion afterwards. So what are we going to do? How can we stop the Christians from coming and filling the place up so the people who need to hear the gospel can get, some, can get a seat? And somebody says, I know what we'll do. We'll call it a prayer meeting because that normally does the trick. Here is the, the early church coming together to pray, and their prayer is about the God who is sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. They quote Psalm 2 about how the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. There is no, God, how could you do this to us? Or, Lord, this is so terrible, what are you going to do about it? Or even asking them to strike down the chief priests with a lightning bolt or wherever. There's none of that. It's just about reasserting their conviction that God is sovereign and is in control of all that he has made. But knowing that there are those who oppose him and his kingdom and his church. They pray realistically, Lord, consider their threats. Lord, you know the situation. You know what we're up against. But what do they want him to do about it? What they want is, and they pray, Lord, give us more boldness. Not Lord, do something about it, but Lord, give us more boldness to speak your word. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders amongst us through the name of Jesus. They're saying, Lord, we need more. We need more boldness. We need more of your Holy Spirit. We need more of your presence. Think about it for a minute. Just a few days before, they'd had the most incredible ex spiritual experience people have ever had. The coming of the Spirit. A mind-blowing spiritual experience. But here, here they are, just a few days later, a matter probably of no more than a couple of weeks, here they are saying, yes, Lord, we, we know about that, but we need more. We need more of your spirit. We need more of your presence. We need more of the refreshing move of your spirit every day. And if they need it, you can bet your life we need it. But we need to pray that God would pour out his spirit afresh each day that we need to open our hearts to say, Lord, we need more, more. Okay, so I had a really good experience of, of your presence last week, but this week I need another. I need more. And I told that the place shook and they were filled again with the spirit. When the church prays together, powerful things happen. As I said, last Sunday uh, was Pentecost Sunday. Anybody know what this Sunday is? Trinity Sunday. That's right. 
There's a, there's a major festival next Sunday. Anybody know what that is? Major festival next Sunday. No. No, it's my birthday. <laughs> I won't tell you how old I am. But there's a, there's a five and an eight in it. And if anybody comes and says, You're eight, you look well for 85, I shall be very upset. <laughs> but this is Trinity Sunday. And it's Trinity Sunday where we remind ourselves, and we do need to be reminded, that, far, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There would have been preachers all around the world today trying desperately to explain how that could be. Trying to explain God. You can't do it because God is bigger and more incredible and more amazing and more greater than we can ever know. And we, like that early church, need to come. We need to be like spiritual Oliver Twists and say, can I have some more? And thankfully God doesn't say, more? He says, yes, and pours out his spirit upon us. What do we do now? We pray for more of God's spirit in our lives, more of God in our lives and in our church. We pray that he might just give us that boldness to step out, to take the opportunity to tell our story, to tell people what God has done. Yeah, we'll get opposition. But when we get opposition, we simply pray for more boldness. We need more of God. More of His Spirit. Stretch out your hand, O Lord. Let's, let's just pray for a moment.